Breaking the stigma of addiction. This is Zach's life, a story of love, addiction, loss, grief, and recovery. Reflecting on Zachary Horton and others in our community, both, both inside, inside and outside of their addiction. Hosted by Jim Horton of the Zachary Horton Foundation. Hello, everyone. We're here today with uh, my friend Brandon. Brandon, nice to have you here. Hey, Jim. Thank you for uh, having me. And uh, j just a little, uh, we'll do a, a quick backstory. I met uh, Brandon a couple of years ago. Uh, he invited uh, me on his podcast. It was at, uh, what, was, what was the name of your podcast? I don't know if you're still doing it. No, we stopped because of COVID, but uh, Redefine Recovery. Okay, Redefine Recovery, and it was at Clovis Hills Church. Yep. And uh, anyway, it was it was early on in, uh, in 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 my process. But Brandon and and his partner made me feel very very comfortable as as we talked about uh, uh, Zach's story then. So I'm glad to uh, now have him uh, sitting across uh, across from me. And uh, anyway, it's just, it's just so good to have you. And I, we were talking earlier um, about about uh, Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. We we had an event, and this is the the first event that uh, our foundation was able to. To help co-sponsor, and we called it a, a recovery celebration. Let's just talk about that a little bit. What was it like from your perspective? Because you saw it on the way out. I was like a, a bundle of nerves oh, yeah. and prepping for it, hoping that everything turned out right and etc. But but go ahead. Yeah, talk. I know exactly how you feel. I put on a lot of events, and you never get to enjoy them. You're always just worried about what needs to be done. From my perspective, though, just as a uh, spectator, I thought it was great. There was a lot of people. There was a lot of interaction. Lot I heard we had almost two, there was cl close to 200 people. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. To get 200 people out on a hot afternoon. Was it was it hot? Oh, yeah, wait. It was like 105. Yeah, just a little bit, 105. <laughs> and, and it was outside. Yeah. But but there was shade. And there was tacos, which made it okay. And there was tacos, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was great, man. You had a, a, a lot of camaraderie, a lot of people sharing their recovery experience. It was uh, it was a fantastic event. And for being your first, you you couldn't tell looking at it that you'd never done it before. Okay, well that, that's that's good news. And we've talked about some things that we can that we can improve on mm -hmm. uh, next time. And and again, that that's that's awesome because that's. I'm looking forward to making this an, an annual event and and, uh, and having it grow. And again, just something to, to to bring the recovery community together, to bring some resources yeah. uh, around. And and I think that was the one thing uh, that was the the one thing that I was hoping for. And you don't always know if you've achieved your goal. And, and in fact, sometimes sometimes it's, it's difficult if you don't. When I had a product to sell, mm -hmm. right, I could tell by my numbers. Yeah. Right? Hey, hey, we had this many dollars come in. Yeah. This wasn't an event where we were asking for money. Yeah. There was never anything asked for. This wasn't an event where we had a widget to, you know, to sell or display. Mm -hmm. the, you know, the goal was for me was to make connections for people in the recovery community and then for the people that were running support services for recovery mm -hmm. and, and then for... Uh, for those of us that were supporting to 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 see the difference, the mission of our foundation is breaking the stigma of addiction, about changing the conversation mm -hmm. around addiction and what that sounds like. And so for everyone to see how you could have 200 people together having a party, having tacos, yeah. you know, dancing, singing, you know, listening to music, and yet, you know, no fights, no gunfire, mm -hmm. you know, you know, nothing except for just joy yeah. and, and, and happiness. 
And at the end of the event, I, I mean, I had a, just a, a lot of responses of positivity of, mm-hmm. of people that just talked about how meaningful it was. But even more important than that, the the pastor from the church where we were at uh, came up to me in a discussion and said, you know, Jim, there were there were a lot of people making great connections. You know, I, I heard some people uh, asking about, uh, Jordan asking about your church, mm-hmm. you know, that were asking, I, you know, there were some people that were, you know, connecting in, in, in other ways with, you know, uh, picking up Narcan, mm-hmm. you know, there were people connecting with, you know, just with other people that were just seven days sober talking to people that, you know, that had years of sobriety and making those connections. And that was the, that was the, that was a, a goal that I didn't know how to uh, quantify, mm-hmm. but again, I, I seem to hear about it. So that was, that was awesome. Yeah. I'll tell you in doing this kind of work, working in recovery, pouring into people's lives, it's really hard to measure results. I mean, like you can see how long somebody has been sober, but then it's like, well, what's the quality of their sobriety and are they just dry or whatever? And it's, it's a lot easier when you work in a warehouse because they're like, Hey, we need 20 boxes moved out of this room. And when the boxes are moved, you're like, Hey, I, accomplish the goal but a lot of what we're doing now is planting seeds like I I just ran um, a couple months ago we did a high school recovery program at the church and we took I want to say it was like 60 kids through the 12 steps wow and it wasn't that they were like doing drugs when they got in there and I had to keep telling my leaders like what we're doing doesn't have today pay off this is when they go to college in four years when they're in their 20s they're going to remember the tools that we gave them so we may never know the impact we made, but if they never end up in prison or on drugs, like we had a part in that. But it's hard to measure that and like feel good about yourself at the end of the day. It's very thankless work, Jim. <laughs> well, and, and, and you mentioned one of your initiatives, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, mm-hmm. but I'm going to get ahead of myself. <laughs> one of the initiatives that you're working on is a reading program mm-hmm. out, out out in your, your area, I think maybe through your church yep. uh, uh, that, that you work at. And, and if I remember the statistics right is that is that the, they identified it was a low reading capability in third graders mm-hmm. uh, is, is what I identified p- potential risk behaviors yep. later on in life. And so you've de- you know, d- designing a reading program to attack specifically, you know, specifically that. Yeah. And again, that's that thinking, uh, thinking forward long term. Long term. And, and, and I can tell you one of the challenges that we have in our foundation in, in, in raising money because we're a nonprofit, and so again, we don't have anything to sell. Mm. Is that I? I often, I all the time, I get people that talk about donating, and it's they are very excited if if I if they have money that they can donate that's going to go specifically to save someone's life, to rescue someone that's already drowning. Yeah, you know, the, you know, the, they will they will buy all the life jackets in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I I could raise I could raise tens of thousands of dollars to put people through treatment that are that are currently addicted Mm -hmm. but when i talk about raising money to give people swimming lessons (laughs) yeah nobody's interested it's not as sexy it's not as exciting yeah you know right and and i think that's just lack of uh, again that's why we're here today talking it's it's Mm -hmm. it's lack of uh of knowledge about how important that education is how important it is to change to change the discussion yeah. uh, that, that that's around that's around addiction. Yeah. So anyway, and and uh, and just the, the last thing that I'll say before I, I want you to get into your story and and, and tell us all about you is uh, you were uh, our, our our closing act for lack of a better term. You were the, <laughs> you were the last speaker that we had the other night, yep. and and dude, you just you just 
hit it out of the park. I mean, you're you're so passionate about what you do. You 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 delivered your message so well, and it was obviously just straight just straight from the from the heart and what you had. And uh, I I had never heard you share before, except you did a um, celebration of life mm-hmm. about a month ago that I heard you talk at. And I got to say, d- dude, you were a lot funnier at this event. <laughs> it's real hard to be funny <laughs> at a baby funeral. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, 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 were, you were really on top of things yeah. here. So, uh, <laughs> no, no. That was, that was, it was just strange in my mind how we characterize people and what mm-hmm. we see and what we expect that people are. And, and you know what? We all have different gifts at different times. And, and it wasn't that, that, I mean, that was, you were very appropriate at, uh, at both. But, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. yeah. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I um, had no clue what I was going to say. Until I got up there, so all I had to share was my passion because I wasn't prepared. Yeah. You were like, "Hey, you just clean up after these guys." So I was like, "Well, let me hear what they got to say so I can clean it up." Dude, dude, but. that was yeah, that was just it was just awesome. It was just so so. Let's get into it. T- tell me, t- tell us about tell us about you. Okay, well, um, I, I I won't go too deep into the past because I, I feel like I'm. I'm just going to give you enough to understand what I came from. Sure. Um, so I grew up in a very broken and dysfunctional home. Uh, my mom got pregnant with me when she was 16. This was the late 80s. Cocaine was the thing. Um, my mom was 16. My dad was 26. He was the local drug dealer. Got my mom pregnant. Went to prison for that. Um, he tried to marry my mom to get out of going to prison. So he still ended up going to prison, but then he got out and him and my mom were married. And... Um, Growing up in that, like my dad didn't like my mom. Uh, He felt like she had trapped him. It was just, it was a bad relationship. And I don't know why they stuck it out. But um, growing up, as as a boy, you need your dad's approval, right? Like my dad was my superhero because as as a kid, you have no context for whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. He's just dad. And I just want dad to love me. And my dad didn't love me. He was, and like after doing a lot of inventory and looking back, he was a broken individual. He'd been sexually abused as a kid. He was on drugs. He didn't, he didn't know how to be a person. I I heard a comedian this morning said, um, uh, I thought my parents were like these loving parents that like had a kid because they wanted to, to like pour into him and love him. And then I, as I grew up, I realized they're just some assholes that had a kid. Like, (laughs) and that was my parents. Like they just, they had a kid. And so my dad wasn't like good dad material. And he was in and out of prison when I was growing up. And my mom was on and off of drugs. And there was a lot of physical abuse, mental abuse. Um, When my dad was out, he was very absent. He would work two jobs so he wouldn't have to be around my mom. He would come home, he'd smoke weed, he'd pass out. Like it was never there. And then they intentionally had my little brother and my dad loved my little brother. And so it just kind of reinforced to me that like I was the one he didn't want. And so um, when I was 12 years old, my dad got arrested. Um, we lived in front of the school. SWAT team swooped my dad up while we were on a bus coming back from a field trip. So my entire class watched my dad go to prison because they all know, you know, oh, Brandon lives in the house right there. We all watched my dad go to prison. And it was like right then that I decided, like, that's the road I'm going to go down. And I don't know, like, how much of a conscious decision it was. But within six months, I got arrested for the first time and went to juvenile hall at 12 years old. I was selling pot, shoplifting. Um, I'd been smoking cigarettes and it just started a downward spiral. I got uh, expelled, suspension started. Um, at 14 years old, I caught a string of residential burglaries. And so I went to juvenile hall. They were going to send me to prison till I was 18. And I ended up getting this diversion program. So they let me out 
and they sent me to a military school. And they said, if you graduate this military school, you won't get your prison term. But if you leave, you're going to go to prison until you're 18. So I went to the military school. Um, I did great. Like, it turns out I was really smart. And there were men that were, like, uh, paying attention to you and, and pouring into you. So I had, like, the structure and the discipline and the male mentorship that I needed. And so I did great. I was a, a platoon commander. Um, I graduated. I got my high school diploma at 16. Uh, got a college scholarship based on my academics. Wow. Yeah. So I graduated, left the program at 16, had a college scholarship. Problem was, while I was in this school, my dad had gotten out of that prison term from when he had gotten arrested. And him and my mom split up. And my mom moved here to the Central Valley. We lived in Arizona at the time. She moved here to Kingsburg in the Central Valley with her family. And my dad was still living in Arizona because of parole. And my mom begged me, hey, come to California with me. But I was like, dude, I got a college scholarship like to here in, in, in Arizona. And so I moved in with my dad um, so I could go to college. And for some reason, uh, they gave me a bunch of cash. Like the scholarship had some money. I think it was like six or $7,000. for. They just gave me the cash and like, go pay for your books, pay for your classes, pay for everything. And when I went home with that money was when I won my dad's affection. I was like, hey, look at all this. And he was like, dude. I've got an idea, and I tried meth the first time with my dad uh, that day, and we ended up smoking my whole scholarship um, at 16. Uh, things got really dark. There was some sexual abuse. Uh, just like, He didn't molest me, but there was like just weird, janky stuff. Like yeah. Yeah, I, I don't want to get into all that, but um, sexual abuse. Uh, we just lived in this weird, dark space for um, probably about six months, got kicked out of our house, lived in the woods in a tent for a while. It was just weird. Homeless at 16 on meth. Um, yeah, so we ended up, uh, I stole the car, came to Arizona, or came to California to, to live with my mom and to start fresh, right? But the problem is, when I got here, I found out there was meth in Fresno. Like, who knew Fresno yeah, <laughs> had yeah. meth, right? So it didn't, it didn't take long to start doing meth here in Fresno. And um, I didn't have a job, so I didn't have any way to pay for the meth. So the dudes I was hanging out with were, like, stealing cars. They're like, hey, we steal cars to get meth money. And so I started stealing cars. But the problem with that is I didn't know how to steal cars. And there wasn't YouTube back then to, like, YouTube how to hotwire a car. So I just started trying to steal cars. And the problem with committing crimes when you're not very good at them is you, you get arrested. You get arrested. And so uh, I very quickly started getting arrested. 18 years old, I'm on a bus headed to prison. Like, I mean, a week after my birthday, I went to jail, was in jail for a month. And they're like, you're going to prison. So um, I get to Wasco State Prison at 18 years old, and I was like, crap. Like, <laughs> things got real serious. Like, I remember the day I walked into prison, I just looked around my first day there, and I was like, oh, no, what have I done? But um, I quickly, like, I, I had kind of this social chameleon thing. I didn't really know who I was, so I just kind of blended into every scene I was right. into. Real quickly just blended in and found the dudes that, uh, some white dudes, tattoos, gang members, like, beating people up. I'm like, I'm going to run with you guys. And so I just quickly started mimicking their actions. And um, within a couple years, let, let me just say this. From 18 to 28, I spent that entire 10 years in prison, but not in one sentence. Like I had gotten a year, got out. I was out for two weeks and I went right back. And then I got three years and I was out for 10 days and I went right back. So out of 10 years, I had on the streets collectively six months out of custody. Wow. So that whole 18 to 28 was in prison. I joined a prison gang, a white supremacist prison gang, uh, started using a needle to do my meth in prison, beating people up, cutting people. Like just, I was all in on the prison life, right? And so at um, 
28 years old. I got out of prison and I was like, I can't, I, I don't want to keep doing prison. Like it's been 10 years. So like I, I stopped doing crimes, but I was still shooting meth. And I met this girl. Um, her name was Sunny. Uh, she was a total square bear. Like she had a math degree from Cal Poly, uh, owned her car, like high-end job and she was highly codependent which was like the number one thing because like you know as an addict, a perfect match yeah i needed somebody to to take advantage of so um i my mom kicked me out of her house within a couple weeks of dating sunny and i moved in with her and um yeah it she she had no clue what drugs were like i was high all the time for the first year of our relationship and she had no idea so wow. she had a little baby, um, Madeline. She was actually pregnant when I met her, but Madeline's biological father was abusive. She got out of that relationship. So I started dating her while she was pregnant. She had the kid. Um, when Maddie was born, I absolutely loved her. Like for the first time in my life, I was like, oh, I love like this thing. Like she's so beautiful. And I wanted to stop doing drugs, but I just, I couldn't. Like no matter what, I couldn't stop putting meth in my arm. So um, about a year into our relationship, Sunny confronted me one day. Um, she goes, hey, I think you're cheating on me. And I was like, I really wasn't cheating on her. And she's like, dude, look, time is missing. Money's missing. Like, all of this doesn't add up. Well, I'm going to the connect. I'm spending the money. Right, and I'm right. going off and doing the drugs and coming home and trying to be play dad like everything's cool. And so I told her, like, hey, I, I've been doing meth this whole time. And that was like a slap in the face. She had prepared herself to hear I had a girlfriend, uh, a, a different girlfriend. Right. But she was not prepared to hear that I was slamming meth inside of her house and so she was like you have to leave how could you bring that around my daughter and that kind of just like sent me to my rock bottom um i was homeless bouncing around i mean like i had my car and i was just going around and um just getting high everywhere i could i, I bought a storage unit on motel drive like rented a storage unit that was kind of my home base like i'd go and change and then you know head out and run around and um I had another girlfriend during those like dark couple months, ended up getting her pregnant. She told me she was pregnant. I was like, well, you know, take off. That's your problem. I don't want to be with you anymore. And it got, it got really dark and it got to the point where, um, the drugs weren't working anymore. Like no matter how much meth I put in my arm, I couldn't shut up that little voice in my head. That's like, you're damaged. You're a piece of shit. Remember the sexual abuse. Remember how you burned everyone. Remember how you stole from your mom. And I needed that voice to shut up and it used to work, but the drugs just weren't working anymore. And I couldn't wake up and not put drugs in my arm. Like I was stuck. Like I couldn't do drugs. I couldn't get off of drugs. Right. Right. And I thought the only way out was, was to end it. So I remember vividly, uh, one day sitting in my storage unit with a gun in my mouth, like trying to work up the courage to pull the trigger because I just didn't want to live anymore. I didn't want to live anymore. Um, I didn't pull the trigger, obviously, like <laughs> I'm here talking to you, but I just, it was so dark, like sitting there with it in my mouth. And I was like, dude, I, something has to happen. Like something has to change. And um, I had started like talking to Sunny again. She had to call me. I was like, you need to come get your dog and do something with it, whatever. So like we had had some communication. Right. But um, I just reached out to her. I was like, hey, I need to I, I need to go to a program or something. She was like, well, like figure something out and I'll help you. And then that was the last I heard from her. I ended up uh, one night going out to Motel Drive. I went to a really seedy motel to um, buy some meth, uh, bought it, went out to my car. My car was dead. Wouldn't start. Um, and I was like, oh, great. Now this, like, 
And now again, I'm like, okay, in the morning, I'm just going to walk to my storage and, and off myself. And so I just sat in this car in this motel parking lot all night and I'm shooting math and I'm crying because I'm planning on killing myself. Like, I don't know what to do. And I just like in the middle of the night, like started screaming, like, God, if you're there, like you have to do something. Like I didn't ask to be born like this into this life. I didn't ask to, to, to be sexually abused, to be broke, to be on drugs. Like I didn't want any of this. Like you need to fix this. And then like no audible voice comes back. So I'm like, I knew you weren't even real, whatever. Like, why won't you help me? And so then I just continue all night, like shooting my drugs, whatever. Well, the motel had called a tow truck. And because uh, my car was in a spot, it's not supposed to be. I, like, I don't live there. They called to have my, tar my car towed. Um, in the morning, tow truck driver comes. He, he goes to take my car. And um, when he shows up, I get out and I'm like, oh, great. Now this. Like just another thing that goes wrong in my life where everything's gone wrong. I didn't think. Right, right. I'm like, dude. This. So I just, it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. I just start weeping and crying. And this tow truck driver's just like, what the heck? Like I don't. I, I don't like <laughs> they don't train me for this yeah I, I just need to take the car dude like I, I don't I don't know and I just tell this dude my entire life story how my dad hates me uh my mom's a drug addict like like the the sexual abuse the meth the wanting to kill myself the like I'm gonna walk to my storage when it opens in an hour and I'm gonna kill myself and this dude just looks at me he's like dude do you want to get sober and I was like yeah, did you not just hear the story? Like, <laughs> that I want more than anything to be able to get sober. And he tells me, man, this is crazy, but a couple months ago I graduated a program called Teen Challenge. And if you want, I'll call and, and get you in today. And I was like, huh, yeah, I mean, cool, like, call, sure. Wow. <laughs> yeah, just so, yeah. Best toast truck story ever. <laughs> you know what's crazy? He got fired after that and then disappeared. I don't know what ever happened to him. Never never heard from him again. Never. It was just like God sent an angel in that moment. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So um, I called Sonny and I was like, uh, hey, like this dude got me into this program. It's in Oakland. The Reedley Center wasn't open yet. I go, it's in Oakland. Will you take me? And she told me, yeah, I'll, I'll take you. Um when she got off of work, she picked me up. Oh, the craziest part. Um, after that, after he, we made the call, I talked to Sonny. She's going to take me. He goes, I'm not going to tow your car, dude. I'm just going to tell him it wasn't here when I got here. And I got in my car and it started. Like, I'd been sitting there in a broken down car that now nobody's touched it and the car starts. And we leave. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So anyway, Sonny picks me up after work. She takes me to Oakland. It's like a four-hour drive, man. Um Three and a half hours. I said I wasn't going to get deep in my story, and then I got totally deep into my story. <laughs> uh, it's like three and a half hours into this drive. Uh, the tow truck driver calls, and he's like, hey, dude, I forgot to tell you it's a Christian program. And I'm like, nope, I'm out. I don't want anything. Six hours ago, I was going to kill myself. Now I'm like, I don't want anything to do with this Jesus stuff. I tell Sonny, turn the car around, take me back. Like, I'm just going to go back to my, my stupid life. And in that moment, Sonny probably saved my life because she looked at me, and she said, you don't have to go to this program if you don't want to, but I'm taking you there and I'm dropping you off. And if you want to go home, you can walk. And I was like, dang. Um, okay. So we pull up, it's in the hood in Oakland, the hood, like this neighborhood is on an FBI watch list because it's so crazy. So I get out, I, it's dark. I'm looking around, I'm like pimps, drug dealers, like 
I, I'm going inside. I'm not walking. I'm a white dude. I'm not walking through this. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that your prison tats weren't necessarily a, a, a great not neon a sign thing. for... <laughs> <laughs> not a good thing. Uh, I go inside. I crash out. I detox. The coolest thing happened, man. I I got sober. Finally. I finally get sober. Um, I meet Jesus. And I'm like, dude, this is, this is what I needed. Like, I wasn't sold on the, at first I was real hesitant about the Jesus stuff. Like, yeah, whatever. And then I just remember this moment where like my heart just melted and I was just wrecked. I'm weeping and I'm like, dude, like God is real and he wants me. Like he wants my heart and he wants, he wants to help me. Because to me, it felt like I, I, like you start off life with like a whole heart, right? As a kid. And then you just go through life and collect traumas and every little trauma chips a piece off of your heart until you get to being an adult. For me, I'm just holding a handful of pieces of what used to be my heart. And I'm like trying my best to glue them back together. And for me, meth was a good glue for a while. Sure. Like it was a great way to cope with all of the brokenness of all the traumas that I had collected. And then when it stopped working, I'm just like held, I'm just like holding the pieces that I was just like, dude, like I just needed to give all these pieces to God and let him piece the whole thing back together. Cause he made it to start with, you know? And so, um, yeah, I got sober. I didn't finish the program. I left after a couple weeks, which I didn't leave on bad terms. I was just like, Hey, like I'm good. They're like, yeah, whatever. Like everybody says, it. and I'm like, no, like I seriously I don't want anything to do with drugs again. And I left and I've been like, that was eight years ago. <laughs> Um, I came home, uh, real quick, got into a place called, uh, uh, got into Celebrate Recovery, um, started like multiple nights a week. I'm going to different Celebrate Recoveries. I'm, I'm working through the 12 steps. I'm just like, I just started chasing Jesus and recovery with everything I had because I, I remember the taste of that gun in my mouth. And I know like, if I'm not like going this way, like I know what's back that way. If that right, makes sense. Right. Like, and so it just fueled me going forward. And I mean, that was, I did a couple years where I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't talk to family. I didn't talk to old friends. It was just me, Sonny. Um, we, dude, we had our two kids, the girl that I had gotten pregnant, Sonny had gotten a hold of her, convinced her not to get an abortion. She gave Sonny my son because she was on drugs and couldn't have a kid. Like, so, so it was me and Sonny and her kid and my kid. And we just went to church multiple times a week, twice on Sundays. And that's all we did. Work, church, recovery. And she walked through that with me for, it was a good two or three years that we wow. did, we just walked through that, like head down, don't call people, like like old, old friends, right, family, right, people that right. I knew. Like only people I called were my sponsor and my wife. And, and just real briefly, uh, Brent, talk about how important that is for someone newly in recovery, oh, about not getting in touch with mm -hmm. It was huge. We literally moved out to Reedley because two reasons. I knew nobody there and you can't like drive past it on accident. Oh, I was heading to, you know, like right, well, right. you were heading to Orange Cove and just happened yeah. to stop by. Like there's nothing. So we moved out and like I know social media for three years. Like I just, it was so important for me to get that good foundation. Right. I have a little brother that still has a resentment against me because he was still on drugs and I didn't call him for three years. And when I finally talked to him, he was like, dude, I thought we were better than that. I'm like, it's not you. The problem is that I know you have drugs in your pocket. And I know that you're not strong enough to stop me from taking them if I want them. Right, it's a right, me problem. Right. I didn't trust myself to talk to anybody I knew because I didn't know where I was at with it. I'm not going back to the storage unit. 
Like, I'm only headed forward. So, anyways, all of that to say, um, yeah, we three years head down, just sponsor, recovery, church, family, and then, um, yeah, I ended up going to uh, school of ministry at Clovis Hills Church uh, up here in Clovis. Right. Uh, got a job at the church. When I, when I graduated, we moved the family to Clovis, um, and like it was time to come out of the shell. So, so like on your resume, when you go to Clovis Hills Church, you, you know, well, yeah, I used to work at a storage unit, and I, <laughs> <laughs> I have some part-time tow truck yeah. experience. And uh, no, So I had, when I got sober, I learned how to weld. Like I taught myself how to weld, and so okay. I had, I'd gotten jobs. I worked in a couple different shops. I actually, right before um, I came on full-time at the church, I was part-time at Clovis Hills for for a few years and then just last september i came on full-time but before that i was the welder fabricator for quinn the caterpillar oh yeah dealership. yeah sure so i mean like i was like i, I had a legit job welding because i told you i was smart right like right. and so i learned it very quickly and was able to to maneuver myself into good positions but yeah I, but all that work like it was all uh it was good money but it was empty like at the end of the day i'm like what what have i done okay like i fixed something but like my friends are still out there dying. My friends are still out there hurting. And like, I needed to like full time be able to commit myself to like, people need life change and I know how to get it. And like, I, like I needed to do that full time. I had like a, a discontent in my soul about what I was doing, if that makes sense. Sure. So anyways, all of that, um, Work got came on last year full time at Clovis Hills. Uh, we we launched a church on the southwest side of Fresno, uh, on Tulare Street by Edison High School. It is um, one of the highest poverty areas in the city. I mean, there's literally uh, G Street, the Mission, the homeless community is like a five minute walk from our campus. We're surrounded by Section Eight apartments. Like it's a lot of brokenness in that neighborhood. And so I went, we went over there and planted a campus of Clovis Hills Church just to go and be a light in that community. All so, right. Yeah, it's, it's awesome, man. Starting a recovery program, uh, uh, doing food giveaways. We're doing shoe and backpack giveaways for the kids in a couple weeks. And, and now, full disclosure, to, huh. to say that we started this, and, and I understand that you have a lot of support for it, but, but you're the primary driving force there. And if, if anyone w- wants to come and be a part of, of, of your church and of, and of your campus, they're going to see you there mm-hmm. in the pulpit mm-hmm. on Sundays. Yeah. So I, I know I just, that was a whole lot of information very quickly. Um, <laughs> I'm the campus pastor over there. So we're, we're a video venue. So we watch the sermon from our main campus. Okay. So our teaching pastor from here, which they're fantastic preachers. I couldn't do any better anyways. Uh, plus not having to preach every week, get frees up my time to serve the community. Sure. So yeah, I'm the pastor over there. You'll see me. I stand up. I do the announcements. I, I lead that flock of us over there. Um, and I also lead all of our, we call it local missions. Like how are we reaching our neighbors in this city? And I lead all of our efforts over there. And I do have a great team around me. You've had Sean Church on your podcast. Sure. He's my right hand man over there. He's a great guy. Oh, he's amazing. Him, his wife. Um, we just have a bunch of people whose heart is, how do we serve our neighbors? And I set up the other night at the event, like, yes, through getting sober, I got my family back. Me and my wife have another kid going to be born in two months. Which is, I mean, it's amazing. I, we bought a house. I have the truck. I have all of the stuff that people look at as being successful. But right. to me, none of that's important. The coolest thing that I got out of recovery is I get to give back. 
because I know what it's like to grow up in the neighborhood like where our church is because I grew up in a trailer park in Arizona where we didn't have anything. And so like we were talking um, before the podcast, well, you mentioned in the beginning, uh, we're starting an after school program for because the statistic that we heard is California builds prisons based off of third grade reading levels. Because wow. at third grade, if you're not reading at a third grade level, you're more likely to drop out, um, join a gang, and go to prison. So third grade reading levels is how they determine how many prisons to build. Amazing. And so we're starting an after school program for fourth graders who are not reading, who in third grade, they're already not reading. Under, so they're already the statistic. And what we want to do is we want to step in and we want to love them, mentor them, and help push them back into to where they can read and where they're they're not the statistic anymore because fourth grade was the first time I ever got suspended for fighting and fourth grade my dad was in prison and if somebody had stepped in at that moment and been like hey I love you I believe in you we're gonna do this together I don't like my life would look different like hey it's 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 all great to like get an addict that's wrecked their life and like try and get them sober and help them put it back together it's so much easier to catch a kid that just is not reading at grade level and take the time to teach them how to read. Like, like, let's turn this shit before we hit the uh, iceberg. You know, it was interesting to me about your story, and, and as you were mentioning, there were different there were different trigger points mm -hmm. in in your life. And at any one of those points, at at six mm -hmm. or at or at twelve, or you, when you got out of the military school, if there had been something positive that you could have plugged into, you were. You, you were always ready. Like you said, you were bright. You were smart. You didn't say at six years old, oh, dude, I want to slam meth. Mm -hmm. That wasn't, that, that wasn't the dream. dream. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, it wasn't, yeah. That, that wasn't the dream. And, and at any one of those points, but you were at each one of those points put back into, again, the same environment mm -hmm. that had created, you know, the, the, the trauma in the first place. It sounds to me like you have found a way in in your in in your congregation and in your church where you're at to 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 help some kid just like you yeah to have other to have other choices and not that they'll not that you're going to be their savior but there's opportunity there yeah right there's opportunity mm -hmm. there to to make that happen that's dude that's just an awesome that that's an awesome thing and and again it's like you said you, you're teaching people to swim yeah right that that's, that's yeah that, that's that's what we're doing that's yep. uh you don't need a life jacket when you know how to swim that's right that's <laughs> that's 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 incredible yeah that's incredible and 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 tell me what so what kind of if if someone wanted to if someone wanted to to help your mission down there mm -hmm. what is it that and I know I saw one of your posts the other day on social media about about the kicks for kids and oh, you're yeah. giving away you know shoes and backpacks mm -hmm. uh, to, to kids who can't afford them that are that are going school kicking because that's that's the area that you're at so mm -hmm. obviously people could give could give to that but talk a little bit about people that are hearing this and say man I want to I want to walk alongside mm -hmm. this dude this is the kind of positivity I've been looking for yeah so like you said in uh, on July 30th we're giving away 2,000 backpacks and 2,000 pairs of shoes uh, and the sole purpose is um, a lot of families can't afford that. And I remember starting school day one with a beat up pair of shoes and it's only downhill from there. Like if you can just, and it 40 bucks, 20 bucks for a backpack, 20 bucks for a pair of shoes for a kid to feel like a million bucks on day one, like maybe he'll have a better school year. Um, so we're doing that. We 
can always use donations. If you hear this before the 30th, I need 10,000 dollars or a thousand of you, or a hundred of you to write a thousand each. <laughs> uh, but we're just trying to. We gave out 1,200 pairs of shoes last year, and the line was still long when we were out of shoes. And it's like the need is so great. The need is so great. So I'm I'm trying to raise 2,000 and 2,000. Um, after that, first day of school, we're launching this after school program, and we could use volunteers. Like we need mentors. We need retired teachers. We need people that know how to read and care. Like the the thing that's missing the most is consistency. A lot of these dads are in and out of prison. They're, they're deadbeats. They're just gone. Mom's working all the time. Like these kids just need something constant in their life. Churches come down every Christmas and give out presents and take selfies. And then you don't see them again for a year. Right. And it's right. like, great job. You gave the kid a toy. Like, I, I hate that stuff. I'm sorry. I'm not going to get on that soapbox. They need consistency. So like if you once a week just want to come spend a couple hours, like, playing soccer with a kid and talking to them about how their school day went and maybe like helping them write a journal question. Like it, it's consistency. So we need volunteers. If you have worked for a school district and like you want to help kids learn how to read or do math better, like we could use your help. Um, you can go, if you want to reach me, you can go to the Clovis Hills website, clovishills.com. And uh, my face is right on the front page. You can, <laughs> my email address is right there. Uh, you can shoot me an email. We would love to have you. If you just want to show up at church on a Sunday, uh, 10 a.m. is on Sunday, 819 Tulare Street. Not to, to plug the stuff, but like that's where it happens. That's where we're looking for volunteers. We do homeless outreach. We do food giveaways. Uh, we have the Narcan ministry where we're, we're going out and giving away Narcan for free. Um, there's just a lot going on down there. We need help. So anybody wants to help. <laughs> awesome. That That is, uh, uh, again, I can't, I can't thank you. Enough. What a great story. Uh, not not because what happened to you was great, but obviously where where you're taking it now, yeah. right? And and the the lives that you're touching, the interventions that are that are happening, they're making place, man. It's just a yeah. what what a what a what a gift you are, and I and I don't know, I know when you're involved in in service, it's your passion, and everything is driving, everything is driving f- forward. You need to hear what a great job. <laughs> that that you're doing and what a difference you're making and you don't do it to hear that i get that right but you still need you still need to hear that i could see last night the the, or tuesday night the message that you delivered you know to the 200 uh people in the recovery community uh the way that that was received it 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 touched lives and so you know what so again like people tell me all the time you know and, and and in some ways i hate to hear it but you know what it's it's uh, I absolutely hope that I'm making the best of a of a of a horrendous situation, yeah. and that's obviously what you're doing, Thank dude. You. It's 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 fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. You're right. It's like watching your kids grow. You don't notice it day by day, but one day you look and you're like, oh, you got tall. Like, where did my little dude go? And it's that's how the work is. It's like yeah. every day you just got yeah. your head down, you're plugging away, and then you tell me like, hey, look, I haven't seen you in a year. Look what you've done. It's like, oh yeah, look what we have done. Yeah. No, no, that's that's just awesome. Uh, Hey, as, as we're ending today, um, I always ask all my guests, if you want to leave uh, our, our listening audience out there with, with one message, if there's something that you want them to remember, to take with them, to ponder, to think about, what's the one thing that you would want to I tell on? everybody, God will move mountains, but you better bring a shovel. Like it, I, I fully believe, uh, I, like Jesus is my higher power. I believe God can do anything. I watch God do miracles, but that doesn't uh, negate us. That doesn't give us an excuse to not work. Like 
you have to put your head down, work through the steps, heal from the trauma. Like we collect all these traumas and they just sit around waiting to get triggered and send us back out. And it's like, Mm. you have to do the hard work. You have to do the inventory. You have to look at that painful stuff, dig it up, heal from it, put it to rest. So when it comes back up, it doesn't, uh, uh, it doesn't take you out. Like make the amends, do the uncomfortable things because comfort is death. Like comfort is death. Like you have to go out and do uncomfortable things so that your life can change and your life can be better. And God will move that mountain, but you better have that shovel ready. Like I, I, (coughs) excuse me, with our whole ministry, I, I say all the time, like pray like it all depends on God, but work like it all depends on you. So I like I every day I try and work my ass off for my recovery, for my ministry, for my family. And then I just pray like, God, I can't do any like I just need you. So that's that's what I would leave people with. Like do the hard work and believe God's going to do the, the, the harder work. There you go. Brother, thank you so much yeah. again for uh, for coming out today. And um, as always, I'll say. Uh, find someone today. Tell them that you love them. This is Zach's dad. This has been an episode of Zach's Life. Thank you so much for listening. For more info on our foundation and for addiction resources, visit ZacharyHortonFoundation.org or check us out on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a story to tell and want to be a guest on our podcast, email me directly at jim at ZacharyHortonFoundation.org.